0: let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to remember that we are citizens of your kingdom, that we have been made your sons and daughters, and that even amidst the many things that we face in this world, we can have hope in this final promise. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Please be seated. <clears throat> we love stories of change. We like to see stories like in our movies or when we read a book about a person that experiences something and then they become someone else. The other night we were watching a movie and, and that was part of the subplot. This, this character is really kind of self-absorbed and a jerk and, and, and somewhat trite and then he experiences something in this movie And he changes and he becomes a little more self-aware, a little more aware of the people around him. And we've all seen movies like this. I could be describing any number of movies. It doesn't really matter and I don't want to give away the ending to any movie. But we like these stories and they give us this sense of hope that, oh, we we can change. That the things we don't like about ourselves, maybe we can get rid of. Maybe we can be a little more aware of the world around us. As we're getting close to the end of Genesis, if you're not paying attention, we're in chapter 45 and there are 50 chapters, so I think most of you can do the math. <clears throat> we're, getting, we're getting close to the end of it, and we're starting to realize that there's a lot of change happening within the characters that we've been walking along with. Of course, we saw the change in Joseph a while ago. He was kind of self-absorbed and like, look at me, I'm pretty awesome. And then he became much more humble when he approached Pharaoh and, and interpreted his dream. And now we see today the change in his brothers. We go back just a little bit, and in between what we read last week and this week, Joseph, if we're being honest, kind of toys with his brothers. And he puts his, his silver cup, his, his divining cup, in the top of his brothers, in the top of, in fact, Benjamin's sack, and then goes chasing after them and says, you stole my cup. Which is a little weird, but we won't go there. And he threatens Benjamin. He threatens him. And the person that stands up to him is fascinating. It's Judah. Judah says, no, no, let me be in his place. Let me take his place. Does anybody remember what Judah did probably a month and a half ago? Or 20 years ago if we're, we're talking about the timeline here? Judah's the one that's like, hey, we shouldn't kill him. Maybe we could sell him and make a little, little extra side money. That's that's quite a change, if you really think of it. And that's what brings about what we read this morning, where Jacob can no longer control himself. He's seen that Judah has become a different person as he begs for his brother Benjamin's life. And he can no longer control himself, can no longer contain himself. And so he sends all of his servants out of his house, but he's still so overwhelmed with emotions that he just weeps. And and a little interesting piece comes out as we read that he weeps. We read that all of Pharaoh's house could hear him weep. And admittedly, he's probably weeping pretty loudly. But I don't really hear my neighbors when they weep. I do hear them like if they're out mowing the lawn or if they're having a conversation in the yard because their houses are relatively close. But it tells us something, not only about the loudness of of Joseph's weeping. It tells us of how close he lived to Pharaoh. How elevated he had become. Remember we learned that he was going to be like the second person to Pharaoh? But that, that meant that he lived right near him. That was a position of power. And his brother's response is interesting as well. Our our text reads that they were dismayed, and and we talked about this at at, uh, our staff Bible study, right, and and the example I used was, well, if I yell at one of you, and I'm like, no, you're stupid, you'd be dismayed, but your world wouldn't turn upside down, I don't think, you'd probably lose a little respect for me, and don't worry, I don't normally yell that at people, but... (laughs) But you would be dismayed. But your, your, your world wouldn't turn upside down. And we, we miss a little bit of what's going on here. They're troubled. Their world just flipped upside down. The person that they thought was out of their life that they were never going to see again was standing right in front of them. They could reach out and touch him. He was there. And, and, and let's face it, if that happened to us, we would have some sort of trouble inside of our heart as well. And in their mind and in their heart, they're probably wondering, what is he going to do, uh, do to us? Remember everything that, that led up to it and we skipped a lot of it just for time basically the last two years of their life, Judah or Joseph has kind of been messing with them. You know he, he gives them their silver back, and then he puts his divining cup in the top of the sack, and, you know, the, is he going to kill us? Like we tried to kill him. <clears throat> but Judas, or Joseph sets them at ease. And he shows them three ways which God has worked in this situation. He tells them, God sent me ahead to preserve life. And he tells them, God sent me ahead to establish a remnant in order to keep his family alive. And finally, he tells them, God sent me to Egypt, not you. God sent me to Egypt in order that I might be a father to Pharaoh. Now before we, we dive into how this encourages us in this day and age, let's, let's think back about when this is being written. We believe Genesis was written by Moses, and of course we know about Moses' life, right? He, he flees from Egypt. And so when he would be aware of these stories was between fleeing to Egypt and his death at the border of Israel. He never goes into Israel for for reasons we don't need to get into now. But he would be compiling these stories and sharing them with the people of Israel as they're wandering in the wilderness. And if we've read these stories, we know some of the the grumblings and the doubts and the fears that they had. And, you know, we could look down at them and be like, well, gosh, what's wrong with you? But that's not a fair reading of the text. If you were there, if I was there, I, I would probably be grumbling too, so... So let's be kind. But they wonder, like, did God forget us? They even go so far as to wonder, did God or Moses bring us out into the wilderness in order to let us die? Right? If, if we read the text, we've, we've seen that. And yet now Moses is telling them this story. This is coming up as they go through the wilderness. Remember what he did, how he brought us here. And as Joseph tells tells his brothers these three things, these three light bulbs could have and should have gone gone off. God sent him, Joseph, ahead to preserve life. We notice that there's two separate preserving of life. There's life and there's preserving the family's life. And it's important because, one, he's preserving his people. He's preserving Israel but he's also preserving all of life. Remember, we read a little while ago that all of the earth came to Joseph for food. God doesn't just care about his people. He cares about all people, and he preserves all people's lives. That's amazing. But he also cares about his people. He cares about those people that are wandering in the wilderness, wondering, Did you bring us out here just just so we have graves right at our feet? But then finally, there's this interesting reminder that he made Joseph a father to Pharaoh. And that might catch us off a little bit. Like, What does it mean that Joseph's a father to Pharaoh? It means that Joseph is responsible for his well-being. He's overseeing him what does this tell us about the nature of God? God is sovereign over even the rulers. God is sovereign over Pharaoh. How amazing is that? Now let's fast forward to today a little bit. I try and be semi-aware of what's happening in the world, even though it's kind of depressing and not really fun to be semi-aware of. But just in case somebody brings it up, I don't seem completely clueless, although I'd, I'd really rather be. Let's see, this This week the stock market dropped, what, a 1,000 points in a day. That was delightful. <clears throat> There's been tons of what I called in my notes political bickering, but I think that might actually be too nice to our politicians. <clears throat> and, and the news story that I actually only got from one person, but I kind of expected to get from, from many people is the fact that Statistically, if Christianity continues on its trajectory, it will be a minority in America in the next 50 or so years. And any number of these might be dismaying to you, whatever, whatever it is that you, you spend a lot of time thinking about. But the same thing that Moses is reminding the Israelites of as he rehearses the story of Joseph, the same thing that, that God is showing to Joseph and his family Reminds us. God is sovereign over all people and in all situations. If you are in Christ, God cares for you. And he will preserve a remnant. And those put, bickering politicians, God is sovereign over them. Yes, even the ones that seem like they're crazy and off their rockers. Even the ones that you don't like. God Is sovereign over them. I want to think a little more about that that Christianity note before we press on through the text, because I think it's important, and I think we want to really think seriously about that news. First, I, I... I'm not prone to get as worried about that as many people are, just simply in part because I think I've seen a lot of people who are sort of already nominally Christian just say, you know, I'm not going to pretend to be nominally Christian anymore. And that doesn't really actually change involvement in faith. It's just people being honest about what they believe. Second is that second thing that God is doing for, for uh Israel for his people Joseph says to his brothers that God was preserving a remnant and this is a common theme that comes up again and again and again throughout the Old Testament something horrible will happen Israel will rebel something along that lines and God preserves a remnant it may be a small remnant it may be a big remnant but he is faithful to preserve his people and for us as Christians for you and I It's a reminder, yes, it might be getting darker, but God will preserve a remnant. We can have hope. Third, it reminds us of the task that is set before you and I. It's the calling that Christ made at the end of his ministry. He told us to go, baptize, and make disciples. If you are in Christ, it's not just my calling, It's all of our callings that we would go and make disciples. If you feel weak in this, find somebody to help you grow in Christ. If you feel strong as a disciple of Christ, find somebody to help grow in Christ. If you need help with this, I am happy to help you. Finally, all of this can be distressing and exhausting. But there's a greater truth here. The reality that we are called to preach and live the gospel every day, but yet we only experience partly the kingdom of heaven. The reality is, if you are in Christ, your greatest hope, your best hope, is that what you preach to yourself and to your neighbors in the preaching of the gospel, one day you will experience fully. One day, you and I will experience the kingdom of heaven. What good news is that? And if we cling and keep our eyes to that, any bad news will seem like just dull clanging far off. Cling to your citizenship. And so we move on. And Joseph sends his brothers back, and Pharaoh is very excited for him, and he sends a whole bunch of gifts for his father. And they go back, and there's this abundance of generosity on the part of Pharaoh. And they arrive home, and they tell their father the wonderful thing that has happened in Egypt. They say to him, Joseph, Joseph is still alive. And not only that, he is ruler over the land. Remember, his, his house is right next to the Pharaoh's. It's amazing. And then the text tells us Jacob becomes numb, or his heart becomes numb, to be exact. (laughs) And this might seem interesting, right? Like, Yeah, I guess we would be something like that as well if we found out somebody that we really loved was alive after we thought that they were dead for 20 years. But numb is really fascinating, and, and we can flesh this out a little bit more because it's only used a couple other times in Scripture. And one of them, and the most helpful of these, is from the book of Habakkuk, where the prophet Habakkuk is kind of going on about how how terrible things have become. And one of his indictments of Israel is that the law is paralyzed. And if we said our heart became paralyzed, we'd probably be even more confused. But if we think about the law as being paralyzed in parallel to our heart being numb, it start of to flesh out that understanding. There's just like... Stand still. There's, what, how, how do I even react to that news? How is it possible that my son is still alive? And of course, then there's a bunch of questions. Didn't you guys tell me that he was dead and you saw him get mauled by a tiger or something? I don't remember the details, but I think he was mauled by something and you told us that? And... <clears throat> but we don't go into that. The text doesn't tell us what Joseph and or Jacob and his his sons relationships are after this comes out that oh by the way we didn't actually see Joseph die <clears throat> but all we know is is Jacob is this this in this point of paralysis this point of shock of what he's just learned <clears throat> and as we think about this passage in light of the gospel one of the things, one of the exercises that we do and I do when I'm prepping for, for Sunday is think about how this relates to the gospel. And I, I told the, the, the Bible study that this screams one truth of the gospel. It screams of Easter Sunday, right? How many people do we know that were dead and are now alive other than maybe like our one friend that had a heart attack but didn't quite die? You know, most of us don't actually know anybody who died and was put in the ground and then is now alive. This just doesn't happen. And yet that's the experience that the disciples had on Easter morning. They knew Jesus was wrapped up tight, put in the grave. And now the women come. They're like, no, he's not there anymore. Now, their first reaction isn't like, well, maybe he raised from the dead. He was talking about that a lot. first reaction is like, somebody stole him. Which would be our reaction too, by the way. But if we take this seriously, sometimes our reaction is like the disciples, right? That there's a hang-up and a stigmatism around accepting the resurrection. I know people that, that think Jesus taught some really great things, and he did teach some really great things. But it all hangs on the message of Easter Sunday. It all hangs on the fact that he has raised from the dead. It's the fact that he raised from the dead that you are made citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It's the fact that he was raised from the dead that we have the hope that we have. It's the fact that he was raised from the dead that brought you here this morning. And perhaps if you came here this morning with some doubts, with some struggles... With some hesitancy to follow Jesus, I encourage you to explore the, I, the 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 claim that He did raise from the dead. Because if He did raise from the dead, as we believe He did, it changes everything. One of the reasons that I keep falling back on trusting in the resurrection is actually goes back to uh, I think his name is Charles Colson. He's the one of the Guys that got arrested for Nixon. Um and he became a Christian and an evangelist. And I, some of you are like nodding your head so you know where I'm going with this. But part of the reason he became a Christian is because he saw what twelve people did after Nixon was a what after the whole thing with Nixon came out. They all just started falling apart and they wouldn't lie for Nixon. It's like, well there's no way. Twelve men would not only hold to a lie, but go to their death. That's amazing, right? There's 12 men, or 11 men, and then a 12th gets elected later, that hold to this truth that Christ was raised from the dead. They never waver from it. But They cling to it, even unto their death. <clears throat> the other interesting thing with the apostles, right? People are like, oh, well, they've made this whole thing so they makes them look good or whatever. They never look good. They always look Ridiculous. Actually, read the Gospels. Peter looks just like a total buffoon and he leads the church afterwards. Like, that's amazing, right? You don't write a story to make yourself look good and then talk about your leader calling you Satan. Let's just let that one sit for a minute. <laughs> this passage ends with two really interesting details. First is that Jacob is called Israel. If we rewind way back, a couple months ago now, we remember God wrestles with Jacob, and he says, "Your name is now Israel." But then he's never called Israel; it always goes back to him being called Jacob, and that's a really curious thing. And it seems to mark his life is coming to a completion, a sense of maturity. He also is a changed man, but he took a long time to change. He took most of his life to change, and that's the reality for you and I. Even though we trust Jesus, even though we want to follow him, it's gonna take most of our lives in order for us to fully change, and that's okay. That's what happens to those who are in Christ. The Spirit works on us, changing out our heart, tending to us. And this is the same, this is the same with Judah. It takes, or, or Jacob, it takes him his lifetime to change and truly become. Israel. But the second is his statement. He ends with this wonderful statement It is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive, and I will go see him before I die. My friends, is it enough what Christ has done for you? Is the gospel truth enough? Whatever tomorrow holds, even if Christianity continues to decline, even if politicians get even more and more insane, even if the stock market plummets, is Christ enough for you? If you came here today with a doubt or a struggle, think on the truth of the resurrection. Think of those apostles who didn't paint themselves good, but painted themselves as redeemed in Christ. If you came discouraged and with a heartache, remember that one day you will experience the fullness of this gospel message, that you will experience what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.